Um, and I'm going to pray for Peter as he speaks. Father God, thank you um, for this amazing passage, which is, has so much richness in it. And um, Lord, you have spoken through this passage to your people for uh, 2000 years around that. And I pray that that will continue today and that you will be empowering through your spirit, Peter, to speak your word to us this morning. Um, and I pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Peter, over to you. Amen, amen. Thank you, Sam. Hello, everybody. Um, might be a rainy day, but hopefully you haven't got too wet making your way towards um, your phone or your computer or whatever it is that you're tuning in to this week's service. Um, this morning is that morning in the year when we're just a few weeks away from Christmas and we're looking at this passage Mary singing the Magnificat and the events around it, where the angel has, has told Zachariah that his wife is going to have a baby. The angel has come to Mary and said that she's going to have a baby. And it's babies, babies, babies. Christmas is almost here. And um, But we do this every year, right? This, this same passage, this same rigmarole of Christmas festivities. And maybe you like the, the, the turkey and the presents, but but surely there are some other passages that we could preach on. Why is Sam always picking out the Magnificat? And, um, well, I, I've actually been meditating on this because I, I have to come up with some, some things, at least three points, alliterated, right, for, for you all listening to be able to take away with you to nurture your souls through the week. And yet... John Bruce last year um, gave an excellent message on this same passage. And if you go to oldswanchurch.org.uk, you can listen to that sermon that he gave and you can hear about the revolutionary Mary and about how the, the song, the Magnificat, talks about how God's kingdom turns everything upside down and, and the rich are sent away empty, but the poor are filled. And, um, and, and, and these things are true. And they're amazing, but I've been trying to work out what, what new perspective might I have to bring this morning? What new thing might God want to say? Or actually is the point that, that I don't need to say anything new at all. I just need to keep on reminding us the same simple truths of the gospel, that God's kingdom is an upside down kingdom. And it's not about the rich and the powerful and the wealthy and the famous and the um the the beautiful look at my perfect complexion oh don't look too carefully um but it's about the poor and the broken and the sinners who by god's grace can be forgiven maybe this this desire in my proud preacher's heart to say something new is is nothing but sin and i should just maybe i should just play you the same sermon recorded back isn't that why we have a, a website anyway as i've been wrestling with with this question um Actually, I realized that this this problem of, well, it's not really a problem, but this, this thing that we do as believers in the God of the scriptures, where we keep on coming back to the same passages year after year after year. In fact, in, in, the, in the high Anglican tradition, every single day at Evensong, um, you might have a choir or you might just have a vicar on his own sitting in a little parish church but if he's diligently doing what the book of common prayer says he's supposed to do then every single evening this is the passage that 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 he prays as part of anglican evensong now i know sam's into his liturgy but i'm not sure that 
even he with his love of the Magnificat manages it every single day. Um, but but you know that that is the the importance of this passage and. And the same could be true, I think, for any any verse in Scripture, any passage. Um, all Scripture is God breathed, and and there's there's a lot of it, a thousand pages in um, in my well, more than a thousand. Hello, Peter, are you there? The, the page I'm on right now is a thousand yeah. pick favorite verses. We pick the the passages that speak most to us, and that's that's good. That's that's right. Find a bit of scripture that you can get your teeth on and, and spend your life meditating on it. And as you do, you'll find that that it, it connects with other bits in ways that maybe you didn't realize at first. And for me, as I was meditating this week on this passage, I was struck by how Mary's song here at the start of the Gospel of Luke is very similar to Hannah's song at the beginning of the, the book of Samuel, Samuel, well, first Samuel, because of course there's, there's two books of Samuel and there's two books of Luke as well, except instead of talking about first Luke and second Luke, we call second Luke the book of Acts and the Acts of the Apostles, but they're both part of the same, the same narrative written by the same person, dedicated to the same, the same, someone called Theophilus who probably was a real person, although the name Theophilus just means lover of God. So if you love God, then this book is for us. The first Theophilus, second Theophilus, this is the story of God himself coming in the womb of the Virgin Mary and then doing the work that God had sent him to do, giving his life on the cross so that now we can receive the Holy Spirit and not just love God from afar, but love God brought into the very center of that fiery relationship of pure love that the Trinity is in his very nature. And Mary had grown up as someone that had read the scriptures and sung the scriptures and prayed the scriptures and been taught the scriptures and memorized the scriptures and, and probably at times been sick of hearing the scriptures, the scriptures, the scriptures, and yet also at times been moved and inspired by the scriptures, the scriptures, the scriptures, because this is the very word of God. And, and, and from the beginning, God has created things by his word, and he spoke to human beings through words and through sending other people speaking words, and, and people have written those words down, and they've passed them down from generation to generation, saying these words are precious. And from the beginning, the enemy has come and he said, did God really say? And, and people have said, uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I think so. I'm not quite sure. Uh, hold on. Because the word of God is a real battleground. From the beginning, in Eden, where Adam and Eve were getting a bit mixed up, and maybe Adam had told Eve the wrong thing. And so when the serpent tested her, did God really say you can't eat this? She said, uh, well, Adam told me I can't eat it or touch it. And the enemy maybe saw his, his little gap because God hadn't said she, hadn't, she couldn't touch it. So I imagine the enemy almost as this dragon, not just a little small snake on the ground, but, but taking this apple or whatever it was, throwing it at Eve and her finding, oh, I have touched it. I thought that was the thing, but it wasn't. Um, and, and maybe that was the point that her conscience was just knocked and, and the enemy was able to... To, to, to deceive her and 
from that point, all of human history has been stained with sin and we're all born into original sin and then we make it worse by our own deliberate decisions to act selfishly. Oh, what a mess we find ourselves in. And it's the story of scripture. But of course, it doesn't end there because God in the beginning said to Eve that one of her children would crush the head of the serpent, would defeat the dragon. And, and that promise was passed down from generation to generation. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Israel in slavery, Moses bringing them out of slavery, Israel coming into the promised land. And there were moments when it looked like it was all going to come and the kingdom of God was going to come in its fullness right now. And there were moments when it seemed like people had messed up and it would never come. But in the midst of all of our mess and all of our sin and all of our disobedience, God's promise remains and and God's people continue somehow by God's grace to cling to little bits of this story that we just about begin to remember and sometimes God needs to send an angel to actually forcibly remind us what's going on and that happened way back in the Old Testament the people had received the promised land there they were all they had to do was trust in God and yet they were getting um, tempted instead to worship the, the idols that were already there and then God came, an angel came to a couple that didn't have a child and said, you're going to supernaturally have a child and he's going to be my, my spokesperson. And I just want to make sure, you know, that he's a salvationist, proper salvation army guy. No, no, no alcohol. And in those days, if you wanted to be a soldier in the salvation army, you also had to grow your hair out. Um, and you weren't allowed to do any funerals uh, either. Those those were the three parts of um, the original William Booth army back then. And and I want you to call his name Samson. And uh, alas, although Samson didn't drink any alcohol, um, he made a few errors with regards to women. And basically, he was the James Bond of the Bible. And it, um, you know, he he died heroically, but it wasn't quite the um, the grand the grand example of God's holiness that it might have been. But anyway, it inspired this, this woman, Hannah. And so when God supernaturally gave her a baby, she automatically assumed that her child Samuel, well, he must be a Nazarite. God has supernaturally given me a baby, so I'm going to dedicate him to the Lord. No wine for him. He's going to serve in the tabernacle all the days of his life. And anyway, this isn't supposed to be a sermon about Samson or about Samuel. It's supposed to be a sermon about Mary. But Mary knew that story of Samuel. And so when she was celebrating that God had given her a supernatural baby, she came up with this beautiful, incredible song that has inspired generations and, and that resonates so precisely with Hannah's song. And I won't read it to you, but go away this afternoon. And after you've read the whole of the book of Luke, because I'm probably going to tell you to read that too, because the Bible, we've got to read it all, right? Um, go and read Hannah's song at the start of first Samuel because that also talks about how she is exalting in God the God who tears down the rich from their high places and raises up the lowly this is the story of the scriptures that, that from the beginning God has given us to steward and and to transform our imaginations with I'm struck by that line in the Magnificat by how in verse 51 it says God has scattered the proud in well, my modern translation says the thoughts of their hearts, but the old translation says the imaginations of their hearts. And I think often we do need the, um, to update our translations because 
the meaning of words change and it just becomes incomprehensible with so many these and thous and the whole point of God giving us the scriptures is that he wants to speak to us in words that we can understand that scripture wouldn't just be a magic incantation of of fancy sounding language but it would be simple words that speak to our hearts um but but in this case i actually think that the imaginations of their hearts captures much better um the thing here because well i mean at least in terms of how we speak english today it's your mind that has thoughts whereas your heart has desires and i think the imagination is much more to do with your heart um it's less to do with your logical thought and it's more to do with what you want to be true it's less to do with your scientific hypotheses about how you think the world works and more about the fairy tales that deep in your heart you want to be true um at christmas we we repeat the the mythology of santa claus less because we're convinced of the logic of a fat man slipping down skinny chimneys that anyway are all blocked up because of health and safety these days and more because of some the magic of gifts being given to to people well actually the christmas story is much more magic because santa's all about well if you're good you'll get this whereas the christmas story says that even though you're not good you have received the greatest gift so don't worry about being naughty or nice just receive the gift of god's grace and the revelation of god's unconditional grace will actually transform you so you're like well okay i'll be nice after all then um anyway i'm rambling a little bit but my first point is that the story of scripture is something that we can go back to again and again and again and again and again and again and as we go back to it it transforms our imagination and it changes our hearts so we're no longer proud thinking okay well if i'm nice at least not naughty in the ways that people will notice then maybe i'll get uh, a lot of good things but instead we realize that we're undeserving sinners and yet god loves us and so maybe we too should love the unlovable or who we thought were unlovable because no one's unlovable if god can love them and this amazing story whether it's the magnificat that you come back to every evening in your even song or whether just once a year in your christmas preaching series or whether you've got another favorite verse that even though you don't understand the rest of the bible at all you know that god so loves the world and so if you believe in him then you shall not perish but have everlasting life this this story is the secret of the universe is the golden thread running all of through all of creation this this is the gospel and this is what we need to keep coming back to so anyway point number 1 the story of scripture um let's never never tire of coming back to it point number 2 is the safety of sisters so um here we have mary who the scriptures don't actually tell us exactly how old she is but she's she's quite a young girl uh, a virgin she's not yet been married to to the man that she's betrothed to and suddenly she finds that she's pregnant and as we all know that particularly in those days was a scandalous a scandalous thing in a society that honored marriage that knew that god had given marriage um for human good and commanded people not to commit adultery it was a serious thing for a woman out of wedlock to be found pregnant with a child it surely was impossible that her husband had um 
begat that child, use the old uh, biblical word. Um, and so this, this surely was a scandalous sin. And yet we know that this, it wasn't. This, this was God's supernatural plan. But who would believe her? Who on earth would believe her? Well, Mary thought maybe her relative Elizabeth might. And so she was the person that she went to, to hide away with while she went from, oh, uh, maybe I've just got a tiny bump that's beginning to show to, to having an enormous bump where she was about to pop. Elizabeth was the person that she went to. And, and she was the safe sister that, that Mary knew that she could rely on, knew that she could trust, knew wouldn't hopefully call up the, the Pharisees and say, <clears throat> I've got a woman here who seems pregnant out of wedlock. Could you call the mob with their stones? Because I think that's what the law of Moses commands us to do. And we don't want any scandal around here. But, but someone that she could trust with her secret, uh, with her story, with her testimony of what God was done, had, had done in her life. And, and hopefully in our church, we can be a community like that, a safe sisterhood or a, a band of blessed brothers like like Jesus and John the Baptist the only men in this passage are unborn in the womb um and but but whether you're male or female let's let's be a community a family together that even when it seems unbelievable are willing to to give people the benefit of the doubt are willing to see what God might be doing in this situation and, and also, sometimes actually it might even be the opposite. Sometimes it might be that the person genuinely is, has been caught in some sin and maybe they do really need to repent of it. And maybe the challenge of being a, a safe sisterhood or a band of blessed brothers or a, 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 a Christian community is, is actually to say the difficult thing and challenge the person. Actually, I think you're doing something wrong in this situation. But to do that, not out of, ha I've caught you now and out of this horrible condemnation but out of that gentleness that comes in the conviction of the holy spirit saying look i don't know fully what's going on but this is what god says and and i'm here to help you i'm here to pray with you i am for you not against you and you know that no matter what happens there is nothing that can separate us from the love of god that is in christ jesus for there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in christ who knows what the situations will be that we have to face. Sometimes it will be temptation. Sometimes it will be sin that we've fallen into after temptation. Sometimes it will be a little inkling of the Holy Spirit that we should do something that maybe our parents disagree with. Maybe it seems irrational, but the, the sense in God that we need to do this crazy thing just won't go away. I don't know what exactly the circumstance will be, but I believe that as a church we are called to be that community where we have each other's back where we know we can be safe with each other whether it's confessing sin or sharing a prophetic inkling or or celebrating in something amazing that has happened knowing that the people that we share our joyful testimony with aren't going to suddenly be envious that we've got the testimony in this moment they don't but they're going to rejoice with us whatever it is let's be that safe sisterhood like Elizabeth was to Mary and and it's interesting as well that Mary was quite young Elizabeth was well how shall we say it Zachariah didn't call her old Zachariah said to the angel I am old my wife is <coughs> advanced in years he had that nice diplomatic phrase 
uh, obviously had been married healthily for a long time, knew not to call his wife old without um, without phrasing it correctly. Uh, but anyway, Elizabeth was was perhaps a generation older than Mary in terms of years, and yet now they both are pregnant with babies. And so, you know, maybe looking back on their ancestry, Elizabeth is a generation older, but looking forward to the children they're about to have, Elizabeth's uh, son, John the Baptist, is just going to be a few months older than Mary's son, Jesus. And so they're of the same generation in that sense. And and for us, in the family of God, some of us might be older, some of us might be younger. Um, some of us might have children, some of us might not. Some of us might have grandchildren or great-grandchildren. But, but all of us are children of God and siblings of Jesus and, and temples of the Holy Spirit. And, and so all of us are on the same level spiritually we're all completely equal in christ there's neither male nor female there's there's no fathers nor mothers we're all just well we're the bride of christ and we're sons of god no daughters or husbands um we're all we're all brides and we're all sons in the spirit um and yet physically some of us are men some of us are female some of us are older some of us are younger and so there's this equality but there's this diversity as well and that speaks of who God is. He's the Trinity, one God and yet three persons, totally equal and yet each distinct. And so in this beautiful family that we get to represent as, as our little church, but also more broadly as the, the global church, we, we are called to be this safe sisterhood as we go back to the story of the scriptures, not just week after week, but daily as we live it up. And, and to do that, what we need to do is learn how to hear the sound of the spirit um, because that's the other thing that struck me here you have first the song of the spirit well not first um sequentially in the passage but the first thing that struck me because that was the focus of of last year's excellent sermon go go away and listen to it if you can on the revolutionary mary and and the themes that come out in the the magnificat song um, but you also have the, the, the prophecy that Elizabeth brings when she first meets Mary. Mary's arrived, I'm sure, a little bit nervous. What will my, my older, my, my cousin Elizabeth, who not only is she older, wiser, maybe in Mary's eyes more godly, but her husband's a priest in the temple. He gets to go into the very holy place in the temple and minister unto the Lord. She's not going to like what I have to say. And yet the first thing she says is not a word of condemnation, not even hello either. The first thing she says is, blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is, my, why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Before Mary has even had to explain her secret to Elizabeth, Elizabeth knows. God has revealed it to her. Elizabeth has recognized the 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 revelation of God and how has she done it just in the fact that her little baby has kicked probably for the first time I don't know how many of you have felt a baby kicking for the first time I remember when 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 I felt uh, a baby in in my wife Taryn's womb kicking for the first time you'll have seen him now as Isaac coming quickly to try and bring a blue thing a red thing a, an edible thing as quickly as he can and then frustrated that he didn't get to bring them all as, as, as faster than everyone else um, but the time was before he was a, 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 
a tall and slightly skinny six-year-old boy is quick to, to tell you that the thing that you said was actually wrong in some small detail. Um, a few years before that, he was a, a small um, fruit-shaped uh, embryo in his mother's womb. And we had a little app on our phone saying, well, this week he's the size of a grape, and this week he's the size of a plum, and this week he's the size of a an orange and this week he's the size of a grapefruit and then finally got to watermelon size and and not long after that we saw him um but there was a point i think we were sitting in the cinema when taran said oh i can feel it i can feel it quick put my hand on my on my tummy feel him kick and well forget the forget whatever the film was a baby kicking when that little seed has grown into a fruit that's big enough that you can feel it, it's an amazing thing. But for maybe the first time in history, I don't know, when Elizabeth felt her baby kick, instead of saying, quick, quick, come, come quick, I can feel my baby kicking, her focus wasn't on her baby at all. Her focus was on Mary's baby, who I'm sure wasn't quite big enough yet, for Mary to feel her kicking. Maybe at that point she wasn't even sure whether this word that the angel had given her was true. Maybe she didn't have anything to show for it except that she was vomiting a little bit in the mornings and feeling horrible, but not sure whether it was just that she felt guilty, she felt not sure if she was going crazy. Um, and yet, here's Elizabeth, and Elizabeth knows that this little kick from her baby is not something to be rejoiced in because her baby is, is growing. This baby that her and her husband have longed for for years. And now that she's so old that she thinks she's barren, she's finally got a baby and she should be rejoicing that she thought it was impossible, but she's got a baby kicking and this is amazing. But no, because of course the angel had said to her husband that the point of her child was that her child was going to be the one who would prepare the hearts of people for the Messiah to come. And, and now that her baby kicks, she realizes this is it. This is it. Probably she's been meditating on that promise for the Messiah to come. Probably she's been meditating on the fact that the angel told her husband that this is what her child would do. I'm sure her husband had to write it down because he wasn't able to actually speak. And now, supernaturally by the Holy Spirit, she had this revelation that this is it. This is why Mary's coming to me. She, she's pregnant with a baby that's even more supernatural than mine. I thought mine was a miracle story because here I was an old barren woman and I'm about to have a baby who's going to herald the coming of the Messiah. But this, my little baby cousin who I remember when she was a little tiny girl, she must be pregnant with the Lord. And oh my goodness, what a privilege for me. And, and so this, this kick, which it, even for the most ordinary of us, it speaks of something incredible, that God is a God that, that gives life and has made humans in his image. And so every little kick of a baby, no matter how ordinary our, our lives might seem and our children might seem, there is something supernatural there. But, but this was more, and it spoke of the Messiah. And Elizabeth recognized that, and she prophesied, and she greeted Mary, and Mary, in her relief, sings this incredible song that actually I think she had probably been writing it before because, I mean, maybe, maybe she sang it in the moment. It's certainly possible. 
But I think if she had sung it in the moment, we probably wouldn't have a record of the words that she had sung. So I think it seems likely to me that she had been she had been wrestling with God for at least a few days before this, maybe a few weeks, maybe months, and that she'd been going back to the story of Samuel and thinking, okay, it is possible for supernatural babies to be born, and when they do, the mother just needs a good song. So I'm going to take Hannah's song and I'm going to make it my own, improve a few lines here and there, um, because Hannah's song has been sung by the people of Israel as we've meditated on scripture year after year after year after year, even week after week. And so if this is really what the angel thinks it is, then my song is going to be sung by generations day after day after day in even little far-off islands that I can't even imagine. And here we are on one of those far-off islands where daily this song is sung. And, and Mary sings this song. She, she releases the sound of the Spirit within her. And... And to this day, we are part of that story of scripture, part of this community of Christians called to be a safe sisterhood and a blessed band of brothers and called to not just hear the sound of the spirit, but to release the sound of the spirit. Because as we trust in Jesus, well, when we first trusted in Jesus, it was because God, by his spirit, by his grace, had already begun to move our hearts to faith and then when we trusted we became temples of the holy spirit and now we are god's ambassadors with our mission to remind people that the magic of christmas is not to do with stockings and santa or or carols and um whatever it might be but the magic is jesus and whoever believes in him can become part of the family of jesus can become part of the body of Christ and people might be lonely this Christmas, unable to, to gather with maybe the people they want to because maybe the people they want to have already filled their little bubble of three and don't have room at the end for them, I don't know. But there is always room in God's bubble, even though Father, Son, the Holy Spirit make up that three, they're just one. And so that collapsible trinity means that we can always get past whatever the lockdown laws are. And there is always room in the inn of God. And that is the magic of Christmas, that no one need ever be lonely again, because God has made room for us. So remember, the story of the scriptures, the safety of sisters, whatever gender you are, and the sound of the spirit. And so I think we're going to sing a song now encouraging us to be still and quiet in our hearts to hear that sound so that we can join in and and be the vessels that god uses to help other people hear that sound